Um, friends, we are diving in uh, to Hosea chapter one. How many of you did your study guide last week? awesome. It's okay if you didn't. You are always welcome here. The word of the Lord moves. Um, Even if you don't do the study, you can go a little deeper if you do the study, but we always want you to know you're welcome and that God will speak to you wherever you're at. Um, And so today we are going to talk about the concept of identity, about who we are. Now, I don't know about you, when I, when I think about my own self-identity, is anybody, I'm not going to ask this, I'll just admit this, I've done some online dating in my days, I'm a single lady, and they always ask you, they always ask you to fill out a profile, and so when you do a dating profile, you really have to think about like, who am I? Like, what is, who do I portray to the world? What are adjectives that describe me? What are my best pictures? Um, what's something that I really believe in? Like, what do I want a potential partner to know about me? So if you've never done the online dating thing, um, you might not understand that this, it really caused, it's some pause for self-reflection of like, who am I and how am I presenting to the world? And what do I value and what do I care about? Um, and today, we're gonna, go, we're gonna go deeper into that question of who are we? And the question that I want to frame us in is not who are we, but really whose are we? Who do we belong to? Who authored us? Who created us? Who actually defined us? See, our culture has this tendency towards self-definition, right? It's what all of marketing, all advertising is designed to do, is to get us to buy into this concept that we are man-made, self-made, and we can create whatever image or identity we want. And that's actually not in line with the biblical truth of who we are. God says, I created you in your mother's womb. I defined you, and I am the one who created you, so I have authority over that. And I am truthful. I am real. I am love. I am truth. And so we're going to go to the biblical definition of who we actually are, regardless of who you feel like you are, who you think you are, regardless of what your dating profile says. Uh, there's a deeper reality about our story, and so we're going to get into that today. Um, and I, I normally love to cruise through the text, but I'm just trusting that you guys read it and that we don't have to go line by line. I just kind of want to highlight uh, some of the things for us that we learned. So you'll see some scriptures on the sideline, but we're not going to attack it because it can be kind of a lot to drink in in one point. Um, so I'm just going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that God does whatever he wants to do in your heart. And I really, I think back to those pictures that you drew last week. If you're new, I had everyone draw a picture of where their heart is today and where they hope God brings it in eight weeks. I hope that's been something that has been a prayer for you, for you to think about, God, I want you to move in me. I want you to do something new. I'm ready to do an honest look at what's going on in there. Show me the truth. Show me the way. Show me the light. So let's just pray that God would speak to our hearts today, and then let's just let him say whatever he wants to say to us. So let's pray. Oh, I forgot to, I'm the worst. Welcome, everybody online. You thought I left you out, and I I didn't mean to leave you out. You're included. I love you. God loves you. Welcome online groups and satellite groups. Would you join us in prayer? Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you that you are the author of love. God, that you created it, that you have mastership over it, that you are the divine creators and lovers of our soul, Father. And so today, in this word, Father, we just give you space to speak. Lord, would you, would you reveal the things in us that we've been identifying in ourselves with, God? Would you re- reveal what the blockage is, God, between the truth of your love for us and what we feel and experience on a daily basis? Uh, and so, Father, I just pray that your love would befall over this room, God, that you would move the concept of love from our heads to our hearts, 
and that you would speak, God, just a new and fresh word for us today in the book of Hosea. Uh, We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. And we just invite you and the Holy Spirit into this place right now to have your way in us. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Amen. Um, You guys, so if you don't know me, uh, one of the things about me is I love names. I am just fascinated by them. If some of you have probably asked, but I'm always curious, like, what does your name mean? Where does it come from? Why were you named that? And I think I really, I got involved in that in college when I started studying God's word more, and I realized the power of a name. Because see, in the Bible, when someone bestowed a name on somebody, it was defining their character, their identity, the deepest part of who they were. God, if you'll remember, if you've read Genesis, God spoke creation into existence. It was the word that became flesh. The power of speech, the power of a name goes deeper than sometimes we even give value to, that we even understand. When God invited Adam in the garden to start naming the animals, he invited him to take place in the dominion and the authority with him, right? The power of life and death lies on our tongue. And so what a name means it usually signifies a lot of the identity of a person. And so one of my favorite stories is when Jacob wrestles with God. Genesis 32, if you haven't read it, if you have time today, Jacob wrestles with God. It says he wrestles with a man, and then that man reveals himself to be God afterwards. But Jacob, whose name means heel grabber, he came out after Esau. He was the second born, and back in that time, if you were firstborn, you got all the privilege, all the inheritance. And so Jacob came out grabbing Esau's heel, wanted the blessing for himself. And so Jacob wrestled with the Lord. God, why did you make me a heel grabber? Why did you make me second place? Why didn't you give me the inheritance? And he wrestled with God. And it says that when he was wrestling, Jacob said, I will not let go until you bless me. And the Lord, the Lord moved his hip and he said, I will bless you. And and to bless you, I will give you a new name. And so God changed Jacob's name from heel grabber to Israel, which means prince of God. God changed his name. There is power in our names. They, they link part of our identity to us. And one of the things I challenged you last week um, to do is to speak the word beloved over yourself. That wasn't meant to make anyone feel uncomfortable. It wasn't meant to be like, oh, Coley's got us doing these mouth exercises. The reason I wanted you to do that is because I wanted you to speak the truth of your real name over yourself, for you to hear that with your own ear, for that, for that reality to sink in. Because what we live in, the world we live in, the fallen brokenness, is there is this truth about who God actually named you, and then our lived experience of our name and our identity and what it means. And what I believe is the great divide is, is sin. Sin is the blocker of that. The enemy does not want us to know our true identity, that we're actually beloved, that we're chosen, that we're valued. The enemy wants us to associate all the pain that we experience, the, the, the painful names spoken over us, the trauma, our insecurity, our weaknesses, our sins, our mistakes. The enemy wants us to identify with that truth instead of the reality that we are loved. Because here's the thing, love is a relationship. You cannot experience love 
without there being a relationship intact. And so when God created you and I, he created us for relationship, to be in covenant with him. And so what we're gonna read today is we're gonna read three judgments that the Lord speaks through Hosea to the people. And every single one of them has to do with a break of relationship. God chose us, he named us beloved, and invited us, his beloved daughters, his children, to have a covenant living relationship with him. And what Israel has done is they've forsaken that relationship and they've tried to have relationships with other things that they think will satisfy, right? They've run to power, they've run to world military sources, they've turned to the God of fertility, they've turned to all these other things to try to establish a love connection, right? They want love, they need love, they need protection and power, and they're not trusting that God's gonna do it. And so they run and they try to link themselves with other things. And you and I do the same thing, right? When we're honest, there are things that we run to that we try to get love out of. Even if we have to squeeze it, even if we have to force it, when, we, when our love cup, cup is empty, we can run around to a lot of people and a lot of things asking them to fill it up, right? Will you affirm me? Do you love me? Will you validate me? Do my kids reflect me? Is my husband serving me? Is my boss promoting me? Are my friends talking well of me or bad of me? It's like we have this God size shape hole in our heart that we run to other things to try to fill and really only God can fill a space that big because really the love of God is the biggest thing in the world. The best picture I can think of it is the ocean. Whenever I go to the ocean, it's too big to comprehend. I have no idea how far it goes. I have no idea how wide it is. So I just stand in awe of like, God, you own all this water. You know every creature in this sea. That's the best picture for me when I think about God's love, how to, how to conceptualize that is the ocean. It's so vast. It's so deep. We can never understand it. There's no limit of his love. And yet you and I are prone to wander to counterfeits to things that, that we think are gonna fill our cup, to things that we think, this will validate me, this will define me, this will identify, this will make me feel good about myself. And God's, God's up there with this endless supply of love being like, why, why wouldn't you come to me? Why, I have an endless source for you. I designed you for this. And so it breaks God's heart when we break covenant with him. And so we're gonna see the broken heart of God today because God loves us and he cares for us. And if you've ever been in a relationship and someone has betrayed you, uh, lied to you, chosen someone else over you, our human hearts understand that pain, right? When a child walks away, when a partner that we had faith in is unfaithful, it breaks our heart. And that's, that's what's happening in this story, is it's not a God, it's not a God of anger, it's not a God of religion, it's not a God trying to put you in the right box, it's a God whose heart is broken that you've chosen to covenant with somebody or something else other than him. And so there's real emotion in this text today. So I want, you to, I want us to frame that of God being brokenhearted, not God being an angry, wrathful God, but a God who has given everything for us and we've walked away from it or treated it like second day old bagels, just put it on the side and it's like, oh, I'll come back to it if I need it, but I'm gonna look for something else, right? Uh, and so today, what we're gonna do is I wanna explore a little bit of the names in here because I think they kind of frame the story for us. And so um, jumping right in, um, we see that Hosea, or the Lord calls Hosea to marry Gomer, right? Hosea means salvation. Uh, and Gomer, I kind of forget the name that Gomer means. It's in your book. What does the name Gomer mean? Remind me. 
say it, sorry, the mask thing is hard. Oh, completion, the filling up of idolatry, right? So that's who Gomer is, that's who Hosea is. And something that um, I didn't know until I studied this is Gomer, uh, Diblim, her father, it means double portion of Viagra, if you saw that in your notes. If you didn't read your notes, keep reading. Um, but Gomer was born to a prostitute. Bo- Gomer was born into a life of harlotry. Gomer was born to an unfaithful father and likely an unfaithful unfaithful mother. And so that's how her story started. And so often our childhood can mark our identity, right? What you experience growing up in your home begins to frame the way you see yourself and that you see the world. And so if that is you, if, the, if you grew up in a home where you were not told that you were loved, if you didn't have a concept that God was for you, that anybody was for you, I want to apologize first and foremost because that's what God God wants for you to know how loved you are. God wants for you to know how precious and treasured you are. And so if you grew up not experiencing that, uh, you can probably relate to Gomer. Gomer didn't grow up experiencing that. Um, And so Hosea is called to love her. And they don't really talk that much about the marriage. I think it's fascinating that God calls Hosea to love Gomer. And that's kind of it. They go right into the kids. Um, And what's going to happen is basically God, God calls Hosea and Gomer and he calls them to name their kids, three kids, three judgments against Israel. So these are living, walking examples, reminders to the Israelites that they have broken covenant with God. It's supposed to be an affront. It's supposed to be jarring. It's supposed to be this reminder, hey, sin is costly. Sin has an effect. Sin broke us. Us, we were so good and it broke us. It's supposed to break their hearts. And so I want to explore today with you the three names of the three children. And so uh, the first name, verse four, it says, Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Okay, so Jezreel means God scatters and God sows. That's one of the poetic pieces of Hosea. Things have double connotations, and he uses them really really carefully. So in this, God scatters, God sows, Jezreel. Um, the story of Jezreel is that Jehu was anointed king uh, by Elisha. Elijah called him and anointed him, and it was actually Jehu's assignment to go and massacre the enemies of God. And so Jehu was actually being faithful. It was a call from the Lord. And Jehu went and there was massive bloodshed. They took over the people. There was this almost military coup. But when you think of Jezreel, you think of a blood-stained battleground where there was military power that conquered the enemy, right? They came in, took dominance. Jehu was being faithful, but a lot of people lost their lives in that battle. And so when Hosea names his first son Jezreel, in the Israelites' mind, the first thing that they will think of when they think of that is overtaking or power or violence, right? This sense of, of death. Jezreel was a place of death. And so when Hosea names his first son that, one of the idols that God is calling out in the Israelites is he's calling out who they put their trust in, right? Do you trust military power? Do you trust the government? Do you trust your own ability to control and squash something that's against you? Where do you put your trust? The first judgment against Israel was, who are you trusting in? 
And so I wonder even for us today, um, a lot of us, I think this, this message or Jezreel might resonate more with men of like, most of us don't want to go to war. Most of us don't want a, like to fight and violence and to dominate. But I just think about in terms of a woman, um, how much we want to control things, right? How much we want to be in power, how much we want things our way, how much we want to have the final say, how much we want to be the master, right, of our universe, of our world, of our family, of other people's perceptions of us. What are you putting your trust in? It might not be military power. It might not be the government. But you and I are prone to wander and trust the things that will give us what we think we need. Maybe it's a relationship that you're relying on to give you your identity, your fulfillment. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you identify yourself with your career. So you're trusting that your career and your climbing of the ladder will show people who you really are, that you'll earn your worth by getting to the top. And maybe it's, maybe it's your physical appearance. Maybe you're trusting that the harder you work on the body, the prettier you look, the more loved and admired you will be. What are you putting your trust in? God's calling Israel. He's calling him out. He's saying, I'm going to name this firstborn bloodshed because you think you're so hungry for power. See, Israel was always worried that they weren't going to be who God said they were going to be, that they weren't going to be the top, that they weren't going to be chosen. And so they were constantly looking to partner with other nations, to destroy other nations, because they didn't trust that God would actually deliver them to be the promised people. They thought they had to earn it and fight for it and kill and pilgrims, and they had to do it. They trusted themselves more than they trust God. Today in your own life, as a personal reflection, what are you trusting more than God? Where are you trusting yourself more than God to get what you think you need? That was the first judgment against Israel. And then we go on in the text the second child. Uh, it says, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lu Ruhama, which means not loved. For I will no longer lo show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. So in the first verse, uh, in the first son, uh, the, the passage says, so he married Gomer, daughter of Diblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So the first child we know is Hosea's. The second child we don't know as Hosea's. It just says, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Some commentators believe that this was Gomer's first sign of her adultery, um, that that child wasn't even Hosea's. And the second child that she has is a precious little girl. And the name that God calls them to give her is not loved. Can you even imagine naming your daughter not loved? I think one of the deepest desires of a woman's heart, I think of all hearts, but especially for women, one of our deepest, deepest desires is to be loved, right? From a, from a young age, we want to know that we are loved. We want to know that we're safe. We want to be the apple of our parents' eyes. We want to be, I just think of growing up watching Disney movies. We, all, we want to be the princess. We want to be taken well care of. We want a man to find us and realize how lovely we are and wonderful and fight for us, right? That is the desire that the Lord put in our hearts as women. It's how he created us. We have a deep, deep craving for love. And so what the Lord's calling out in Israel is he's saying, I will call you not loved. Because no longer did Israel go to God to get love. They went to everything else in their world. In fact, they kind of put God on the shelf and they said, hey, this new God, Baal, 
He's the God of fertility. If we can have more children, that's more power, that's more political alignment. If we can have fertility in agriculture, if we can get more food, more money, we can build our own society. We can be self-sufficient. And so they stopped loving the God who said he would provide, and they started loving the gods who promised to help them provide. So my question for us today is what, what or who do you love? In our heads, if you grew up in the church, it's really easy for us in our heads to be like, yeah, I love, I love God, I love God. But I'm not talking about your head. I'm not talking about what you know to be true. We all, we all know that Jesus loves us and we love God. But in your life, where are you actually seeking love? What do you think you need to get, do, or be to be more loved, right? I, when I was doing this study, the thing the Lord really put on my heart, one of the big idols of my life has always been marriage. I, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up in the church, which has always celebrated family as a core unit. And I think family is one of the most beautiful things. But one of the lies I had to unpack for myself in doing this is since I've been a little girl, I have believed that I will only be loved if I'm chosen by a man. And so I've been, I've been waiting and I've been praying and I've been battling with the Lord. Lord, why, why do you not love me? Why, why, is not, why am I not chosen by a man? Why does, why does she get to get married and I have to be single? Because see, I was looking for love in a different place than God. And it cost me deeply. I'd spent years being frustrated with God, mad at him, feeling much less than. Because I thought to be loved, I had to be in a marriage. And I thought because God didn't provide that, that must surely be proof that I'm not loved. You see, we do this all the time. I'm not saying anything new to you. We have these lies that we believe of what we need. And it's different for all of us. For some of us, it's the same. But we have this lie that we need blank to be loved, or we need to become to be loved. That's one of Satan's greatest tactics. And so the Israelites believed that they had to produce to be loved. If they could have more children, if they could have more agriculture, then they would feel loved. And so God's calling them out. He says, I will call your daughter not loved as an affront to remind you that I have loved you since the beginning of time and you have rejected that love. Uh, Jeremiah 31.3 says, this is God's words over the people. This is such a strong part of Israel's identity. It says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Do you believe that? that the Lord created you with an everlasting love, that you and I don't need to run to a partner, to a job, to our physical appearances, to our bank account, to our own self-esteem, that those things aren't actually what give us love. Only the God of the universe who created love can actually give us the amount of love that we need. So the second call against Israel is that you have forsaken your first love. You've run after other things to be loved. And so he makes them jealous. In verse seven, he says, yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them, not by bow, bow or sword or battle or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. God saying, you broke covenant with me. I'm not gonna break covenant with your other half, Judah. I'm gonna love them and I'm gonna pursue them. It was meant to make them realize what they were missing out on. 
God's going to save Judah. Remember Judah? Judah's the southern tribe. This is the northern tribe. They're divided right now. So right now they're enemies. And God's saying, I'm going to love. I'm going to love your counterparts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save them because I love them. It was meant to invoke this pain in Israel to this return to God of, oh, that's the love I'm actually looking for. That's the God I want. God knew that that would stir their hearts to desire him again. And then the third, the third name we see today, the third son, Again, it says, uh, then the Lord uh, gave Gomer another son. We don't know if this is Hosea's child or another man's child. Um, but it says, then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. One of the main defining elements of Israel was their covenant relationship with God. If you've read the book of Exodus or if you did the Exodus study with us, you'll remember there's this pivotal scene in Exodus where God declares that I will be your God and you will be my people. This is when he parts the Red Sea for them and he provides manna in the wilderness for 40 years. God is basically stamping them and saying, you are my people. You are my beloved. Exodus 6-7 says this. This is God speaking. He says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God's covenant relationship with them, their primary identity as a community was that they belong to God. And so I wonder for us today, for our own self-reflection, is where are you getting your identity? Where are you finding your belonging? What or who are you allowing to define you? See, when Israel allowed God to define them as his people, they basically said, we trust you to take care of us. If you're our God, you will lead us. You will be faithful. You will show up. You will provide for us. And that was how they saw themselves. They were God's dearly loved and chosen people. That was their primary identity. And so God calls them out. He says, no longer are you identifying yourself with me. Now you're trying to self-govern. Now you're running after Baal. Now you're running after other kingdoms. You're no longer seeking your main identity with me. You're trying to get your identity from somewhere else. Does this sound familiar to anybody? How often you and I long to get our identity from things in this world. It's just the way that our mind is sometimes geared. It's what we're wired. It's what we see day in and day out around us in the culture, on TV, on social media, that we can go to something else that will enhance or boost our identity. Maybe you're a shopper. Maybe you like having nice things. Maybe it's your home that makes you feel like you've arrived or your family or your own accomplishments. But there's all these other things that we run to that we want to put a stamp on of, I belong. I made it. I'm, I live in this neighborhood. I go to this church. Uh, I work for this company. These are, these are my kids. Uh, this is my husband. These are my friends. There's all these other things that we seek to get our identity from. And God says, I have always, always been the one that's going to be your primary definer. And yet you've walked away from that. You've walked away from the truth of who I created you to be. Uh, and so those are the three names that we see in this passage. Those are the three judgments against God's people. And I think about this, that when God called Hosea uh, to name his three kids those things, think about Hosea. He was a prophet for like 30 plus years. He was preaching, he was teaching. Every single time he was giving a sermon and made a reference to one of his kids, 
Loami today wouldn't eat his breakfast, it would just be this slap in the face of, not my people, not my people didn't play well with the kids. It would, they would just continue to hear this judgment against them because their hearts had become hard. Now there's this pattern, there's this pattern in Hosea um, that we're, that we're going to see throughout the book, but Hosea bounces back and forth rather quickly sometimes between judgment and hope. It's like judgment, 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 and then right in the next verse, it's hope. He inserts it. And so much of that comes back to the truth about who we are. You see, because God, God built this foundation for us since the beginning of the world. God has chosen us as his people and he sent Jesus Christ to die for us so that you and I are his beloved. That's, that's the main, that's the foundation that we start from. And so when Hosea jumps back and forth from judgment to hope, it's grounded and rooted in the reality that you and I are loved. If God did not love us, he would not care what we did. There'd be no judgment. He wouldn't call you out for anything. If you've ever not cared about something or someone, you're like, you do you. You don't, you don't try to correct them. You don't try to get them on the right path. The judgment is a reflection of his love for them and it bounces immediately to hope because the establishment is you are loved. You are loved so much that I'm gonna track you down and I'm gonna try, try to get you back on the right track. I'm not gonna let you go off the cliff. I'm gonna call you out when you do something that's gonna hurt you. You see, I think one of the problems sometimes with the church, sometimes the problem with Christianity is you and I, we come to know Jesus, we hear that we're loved, and then the next message that we hear is to go do something for God. Go serve, go be involved, go do this. And we miss sometimes, and this is a miss on all of our parts, but we miss sometimes the soaking in that we are saved and loved. Sometimes you and I don't actually sit in that truth. And so what we hear, the message is, okay, you're loved, you're saved, get out there. And we haven't had time to actually fill our own cups. We, we're actually just kind of working on human energy, trying to love people the way, the way we think they need to be loved, but we're not, actually, we're not actually giving God's love to people. We're just told to love people, so we're, we're trying our best and our brokenness to do it. But the reality is, is, is there is this, this cup that each of us has that God wants to fill. God wants you to know that you're loved. God wants you to experience his love for you. God wants you to sit in it, to drink it in, to understand it, to feel it, to taste it. And so before you even go out to somebody else to love them, to love your to love family, friends, neighbors, church members, God wants you to receive his love first. And sometimes that step is missed in our walk with the Lord. And so I just, I wonder today where you're at, uh, what your heart picture is. I wonder how many of you just need to sit in the love of God. Not to do anything, not to go fix yourself or try to get as much love in as possible, read as many Bible verses as possible or serve as many people as possible. I wonder how many of you just need time at the foot of the cross saying, God, I'm empty. You gotta fill me up. I need you to show me what love looks like. I need you to remind me that I'm loved. I need to feel your love. And some of you, some of you can't move on until you do that. Because without God's love, we have nothing to give. 
we're just humans striving and cranking and trying and messing up and failing. So before you do anything this week, I want you to spend some time just sitting with the Father, asking him to reveal his love to you, asking him to fill places in you that you cannot fill yourself. This is one of the the most profound parts of the Christian walk, of following Jesus, is to actually believe and receive the love of Christ. It's one that we assume when people announce Jesus as Lord that that they've already done or they've gotten to, and sometimes we blow right past that exit to actually sit and be with the Lord. And I feel like for some of you, that is an invitation for you today, to actually let God fill your cup. To even ask the Lord, Lord, will you remind me how loved I am? Will you show me how loved I am? Uh, My sister went through a season, she had gone through a breakup and she went and studied abroad and it was, she literally went to a desert. Um, and she's a strong believer, and she went with a group of people that didn't know Jesus, and so she was just, she was in a season where she deeply, deeply longed for community, for love, for restoration, for her heart to be healed, and so she spent days just with the Lord. There was nothing else to do, Uh, so she was in this place, and she just sat with the Lord, and she cried with him, she prayed with him, and she read her word, Um, and during that time, the the Lord had given her uh, the verse, I think it's in Isaiah, that says, I will write you on the palm of my hand. And so my sister, when she got back from that season, it was six months of desert, but six months of allowing God to fill her cup. She got home and she was like, I need to do something about this. And so she went and got her first and only tattoo. Um, She got it in white white ink in her own handwriting. Uh, She got the word beloved tattooed right on her wrist because she said the thing I have learned from sitting in the valley with Jesus is that I am deeply loved regardless of my circumstances regardless of the lack of community I didn't do anything when I was studying abroad I just spent time at his feet I wasn't productive I didn't create anything I just sat at his feet and I wonder how many of you need God to write beloved on you this week that you are loved, that it is the deepest, most true part of who you are, and it's so often just skipped over, not intentionally by me or anyone else in the church. It's just sometimes the message we hear more is go and do instead of sit and be, be loved. That's an invitation for some of you this week to sit with the Father and be loved. And so we see that as, as we close out our time. We see that quick jump from judgment to hope. Uh, verse 10 So there's all these pronouncements. It's these three kids, there's three judgments. Like, you won't be my people, you won't won't be loved. Like, think of blood and massacre. And then, verse 10, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. You see that in just one instant, God flipped the whole story. And that's because of God. That's who God is. It had nothing to do with the people. It had nothing to do with their brokenness. It's because the Lord is good and he is who he says he is. When he quoted that, he was quoting Genesis 22, 17 through 18, which is part of the Abrahamic covenant. And he said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. 
this is the reality. At the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we earn or don't earn. It's always been about God. It's always been about Yahweh and his pronouncement of life and love over us. That's the truth. And Satan will have us running around, try to figure it out by ourselves, trying to find our identity, trying to, get, trying to be better, trying to be enough, trying to heal our wounds. And that's never been the solution. The solution has always been God is faithful, God loves you, God sent Jesus, and God will do it. All you need to do is follow the master. Our job is to follow Jesus, to allow him to love us, and to do whatever that love compels us to do. But it starts with us receiving it first and then doing second. Be loved. I wonder how many of you this week, that's going to be your prayer. I want you, invite you to continue to speak that over yourself. And it's not something, it doesn't always happen right away. If you're sitting and asking the Lord, God, move this truth in my head to my heart, it doesn't always just drop, it can. God loves to do that, but sometimes it's a journey between you and God of figuring out what the wall is. That's some of the work of Hosea. What are the lies? What are the things that have been spoken over you? What are you chasing that's apart from me? And that might be a process. That might take some time for you to unravel. Uh, Tom talked about in his sermon this week, taking out the lies, and you've got to kind of trace the trail of why, why do I do that? It's like Paul, like, why do I do the things I know I don't want to do? We all do these things. We all have God, like little idols that we chase that we're like, I know that's not true, but why do I do that? Spend time sitting with the Lord. Ask him to reveal why you're chasing something that isn't him. Ask him to replace his love with whatever the counterfeit is that you're trying to put in it. That's my prayer for you today. Um, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna close this in prayer, but I just wanna encourage you as you go to your groups, I want you to share, if you feel comfortable, I would love for you to share uh, in your lesson this week, you had to fill in the blank of I believe I need to be blank to be chosen or loved. The reason I want you to share that is because I think the enemy has a lot of power in keeping us enchained in secrecy. And I think the reality is, most of us have the same answers, right? Most of us believe the same lies. I need to be married to be loved. I need to be a good mom to be loved. I need to be beautiful to be loved. I need to be less to be loved. I need to be more. Those are lies of the enemy. And if we don't share those and expose those, they can wreak havoc in our heart. And so I want you to speak the truth over each other that that's a lie. You don't need that to be loved. You don't need to do, you don't need to be more. You don't need to change. You actually are loved. So I want to pray over your time together that the Lord would really fill your cup with his love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us more than we can ever, ever understand. But God, today, would you start to do a new work in us, God? Would you fill our love cups uh, with the love of Jesus Christ? Would you minister to places inside of us, God, that we don't even know are dark and hurting and in pain? And God, would you break down the wall of whatever keeps us from your love? Because we know, we declare, it is our truest, truest identity that we are loved and that you want us to live and move and have our beings in the love of Jesus. So we receive that today, God. Would you bless and seal us with your love as we go? In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen.